like you find what love is, you find what grace is, you find what mercy is. And when you think about your life and you're like, I want, I want joy, I want peace, I want contentment, it's here. Like, look at it, read it, it's, it's God's word speaking to you. And when you're wondering, man, what, what's my purpose in my life? That, that's here too. <laughs> it give you a life of purpose and mission and compassion for people. Like, that's the word of the Lord. That's God's word speaking to you in your situation. Now, sure, of course, all of this is general, right? It's like super general. But God is speaking to you through the word. And that's what he does. <laughs> and you're like, man, again, that sounds good. But me? Really me? Notice it's the Lord who spoke to Jonah a second time. Who was Jonah? Jonah was a guy called by God to go do something very specific, talk to a city in Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, thank you. I'm going the exact opposite direction. And so if you've ever made a decision in your life where you said no, thank you to God and did your own thing, guess what? God can speak to you, right? You, you, you can't, like Jonah bought a ticket and he got on a boat and he went the complete opposite direction. All these little choices leading in the wrong direction. If you've made a lot of little choices leading in the wrong direction, guess what? God can speak to you. If he spoke to Jonah, he can speak to you. And if you're on that boat and you get God so, I don't know if the word's upset or you get God's attention enough, where as we read in chapter 1, he throws a storm into the sea. And Jonah convinces the sailors to throw him over the boat and kill him. He would rather die than do what God wanted him to do. If God would speak to a man like Jonah, oh man, he can speak to you. And he can speak to me. There's a little bit of Jonah in you. There's a little bit or a lot of bit of Jonah in me. And if God's speaking to him a second time, come on. He can speak to you. And if you get a word from the Lord, if the Lord speaks to you, and he gives you a second time, a third time, a fourth time, a tenth time, a twentieth time, then let me tell you, you can get up and go. You can get up and go in his strength and his power, not because you're going to figure it out, not because you've got the magic bullet or whatever, the magic wand. It's because the Lord has spoken to you and his word is telling you and imploring you and empowering you to get up and go. You can do it. You can do it. That was, that was uh, for somebody today. That was for somebody today. Are we good with the tech stuff back there? All right. All right, good. We're good. All right, who's ready for my message? <laughs> All right, Jonah, chapter 3. He says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Look, it's the same thing. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. It's the same thing. And notice, it's the message that God has given Jonah. Not what Jonah wants to tell Nineveh. Not what Jonah listened to in his latest podcast or the latest Facebook post that Jonah saw and was like, oh, let me tell Nineveh about that. No, this is 
God's word given, God's message given to the great city of Nineveh. And then we say, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got a million questions. Because the last time we saw Jonah, and the Jonah chapter 2, Jonah was in a fish. And it says that Jonah, or God caused the fish to spit Jonah out. And now the word came to Jonah a second time, and Jonah obeyed. Now, I've got a million questions, like, how exactly did this fish spit out Jonah? Was it like, did he swim up on the shore, and he opened his mouth, and Jonah, like, walked out, you know? Was it like a projectile, you know, like, and Jonah's, like, flying through the air, right? Well, how did it work? Now, if, right, you've got questions, you've got doubts about a guy in the fish, right? I know that's a hard thing to believe. You've got to listen to my message last week because I talked all about that. Like, I get it, right? That's a really hard thing to believe. And you might not be a Christian. You might not believe in the Bible because of stories like that fish story. But let me tell you, you need a better reason. And so listen to that message last week. Okay? It's hard, but that's just what the Scripture says. Okay, So I got questions about that. And the Bible, the book of Jonah, doesn't tell us the answers to any of these questions. So when Jonah gets out of that fish, where is he? He's on a beach. You know? Is he okay? Like, does he need medical attention? Like, is, which direction does he go when the fish spits him out? Does he like immediately start walking to Nineveh? Or does he go maybe to Jerusalem, right? In his prayer, we talked about it kind of seemed like he was going to go towards the temple. So maybe Jonah got, went to the temple and he like settled down. He kind of got into his own routine and he kind of got like back to the normal way of doing things. And he kind of forgot about going to Nineveh. Like we don't know any of this stuff. We don't know when the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. We just know that it came. And so there's all these questions like, what did, how did this work? When did it happen? Right? And the book of Jonah gives us no answers to any of those questions, which tells me that the most important thing that God could have communicated to us about this story is the simple fact that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Like, the very fact alone that God would speak to Jonah again, give him the same message again, when Jonah so miserably failed, when Jonah just completely rejected, I don't want to do this, and God, in his grace and mercy and his infinite wisdom, gave him a second opportunity that the word of God would come to him again, like, that's the point. That's the miracle. That's the amazing thing. But then the question also is, is why in the world would Jonah obey the Lord's command? Because the first time, not that long ago, he was like, no thank you, I'm not doing this. Right? Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 was get up and go, that was what God told him to do. And then in 1 verse 3, he got up and went the opposite way, the opposite direction. He got up and went into this boat, and when he could have turned around, when he could have acknowledged God, when he could have repented, he convinced the sailors to throw him off the boat and kill him. And it's like, maybe Jonah is afraid that if he says no to God again, what's going to happen to him? He's like, God got me by this fish the first time, 
what's coming for me now? <laughs> it's going to be bad. So I better just obey God. I better just go. You know, I don't know. We don't know. We don't know the answer to these questions. I think, though, what's happening here is Jonah obeyed the Lord's command because there was something strange going on in Jonah's heart. And I alluded to this last week. Like, I think that Jonah is so amazed, so in awe of how God saved him with this fish. Like, now he's alive, he's, he's on the shore, he's doing normal life again, and it's like, God, you saved me, you redeemed me, you restored me, you delivered me, I was dead, I was sinking into the sea, and somehow, God, you did a miraculous thing in my life, like, that's amazing. And I remember, Jonah's thinking, I remember that huge storm I was in. There was no way I should have survived that storm. And somehow God saved me. And you know what? Those sailors that I was with, they probably all died in that storm because they were so, it was such a bad storm. Jonah doesn't know what happened. And so Jonah's like, man, this is amazing. God saved me. God did this for me. And here's what I think Jonah thinks. I don't, this isn't in the scripture necessarily. But here's what I think, why he obeyed the Lord's command, because he says, if God would save me with a fish, like God's that good to save me, then maybe God would save me by destroying the Ninevites. Because that's why Jonah didn't want to go. He wanted Nineveh to get destroyed. He didn't like those people at all. And so I think maybe, maybe he's thinking, all right, maybe if God would save me, then I'm a special person person to God. I'm God's chosen people. I'm a prophet of God. If God would save me, maybe God would save me, continue to save me by destroying our enemy. And so Jonah then obeyed the Lord's command and he went to Nineveh, which was like a month trip. All right, he's got to take a month to get there, one step at a time, one donkey step at a time. And it's like those little steps of obedience, right? It's the little things. It's heading in the right direction for a long period of time. And Jonah's getting there. And on the day that Jonah entered the city, the huge city of Nineveh, the biggest city where Jonah was from, Samaria, was about 30,000 people. Nineveh was at least four times the size of that, at least 120,000 people, this big, big city. And it took three days, we read, for him to do his thing there. And he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now and Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 days from now and Nineveh will be destroyed, right? 40 days from now, Nineveh, you could just see him walking around. 40 days from now, you're going to be destroyed. It's like the world's worst sermon, right? 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. <laughs> it's five Hebrew words. It's like Jonah was going to give the bare minimum message, and it's all bad news, right? There's no hope here. There's no like, hey, if you believe and repent, God will save you. There's nothing. It's just straight five Hebrew words of good luck. <laughs> and I... I think it's, it's Jonah's attitude. It's, it's like, I really don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. And I also think he kind of likes this message. He's like, I hate these people. I want them to get destroyed. And so, hey, 40 days, you're going to get destroyed. 
40 in the Bible, as you see in many different places, is a number that represents like trial and testing. And so the spies explored the land for 40 days. They were wandering, the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. Goliath was taunting the Israelites for 40 days. Like 40 is this number of trial and testing. And it says 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The Hebrew word for destroyed means destroyed. But in certain contexts, I don't think it's this context, but in some other contexts, it's the word overturned, right? So like if I overturned this whole thing, it would be destroyed. But if I overturned it in a good sense, right, then there's like this turning to God in a, in a good way too. And so I, I don't think that Jonah has that version of this word in mind. However, I think God, throughout this whole story of Jonah, is doing things that Jonah doesn't want God to do. And God is doing things through Jonah that Jonah tries to avoid. And so I think there is a little bit of that, where Jonah's going around, 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. And God's like, yeah, I'll destroy you. And they're going to actually turn in the right direction, which is amazing. And so the message that Jonah gives is 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And what happened? The next verse, Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, what happened in response to this message? The people of Nineveh believed God's message from the greatest to the least, and they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. And when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps, even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. So that's how the people respond, which is the, one of the greatest miracles in the history of the world. That a city of over 120,000 people all turned to God in a few short days in response to the world's worst sermon with no information or glimmer of hope. The miracle of the book of Jonah is not the fish swallowing Jonah. Now that is a miracle, of course, but that's not the miracle. That's what we know the book of Jonah for, but we should know it for how God saved, restored, redeemed, delivered the great city of Nineveh. That is the great miracle of the book of Jonah. And again, God is doing what he does with Jonah's help or without Jonah's help. God does this. And so what do the people do? The people, they do a couple of different things here, but they declare a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. That's, that's what they do. In, the, in their culture, that was their way of being humble, of showing their sorrow, of humility, of repentance. And notice who did the repenting. First, the king Right? He heard what Jonah was saying. The king who represents the people, who's in charge of the people. The king, he gets up. 
That's the same word as I've been, you know, playing off of all, right? Get up, get up, get up. The king gets up, and he has this view of of repentance. Who also does it? The animals do it, which throughout the book of Jonah, we've seen, right? The fish obeys God better than the man of God does. And even here, the animals repent more so than Jonah does. Because what Jonah is doing in all of this is nothing. (laughs) Jonah doesn't really change anything. Jonah doesn't hardly repent at all, maybe. And that attitude, remember, Jonah is the Hebrew. Jonah is the man of God. Jonah is the prophet of God, and he's like the worst attitude. He's contrasted with these people who are far from God. It's contrasted with Nineveh who repents. And what do they do? They wear the garments of mourning. They pray earnestly to God. They turn from their evil ways. They stop all their violence. Like the animals of Nineveh repent better than Jonah does. The king of the worst, most evil, most brutal. Remember I was telling you about how the Assyrians were savage. Like they cut off body parts left and right. Like that's just what they did. That was a normal day in the Assyrian kingdom. And it's the Assyrian king who's the model and the example of what it means to repent. Whereas the man of God, the prophet of God is not anywhere near to be found. This great city, this great uh, city, they're the ones that are teaching us what it means to repent. That's what's called eating some humble pie. (laughs) Like, they're going to be our teacher? They're going to be our example? Are you serious? They impaled like 500 people yesterday. And they're going to be the model of repentance? That's the story of Jonah. And what happens, so if you read the history of Assyria, if you read through the years, there's ancient records, you know, found of this. You can read in in 765, the king did this, and if there was anything else, they mentioned it on there. In the year 764, there's no explanation, but for the only time in this long list of dates in the records, the history of Assyria, in 764 B.C., there's no record that the city conquered any lands or did anything. And so you wonder, maybe that's Jonah. Maybe that's the response to Jonah's message. And so they are the model of repentance. They're, they're wearing these garments. They're praying earnestly. They're turning from their evil ways. They're stopping their violence. Like these are the things that they do. And I, I got to ask this challenging question because it begs to be asked. Have you ever done something like this before in your life to show your repentance for your sin? Like, man, we see, like, remember who's teaching us this. Like, this is the evil, horrible, no good Assyrians. And God, the writer of Jonah, is telling us, look at them. Look at how they repent. And we should look at ourselves and be like, man, have I even thought about doing anything similar to that? Have I, you know, 
change the clothes that I wear, right? The, the, have I done something to put on the burlap sack? Now, I'm not saying you have to do that exactly, right? But in our culture, there's things that we can do to show, hey, we're changing. We're, have we prayed earnestly? Have we, have we turned from something that we were pursuing and turned from it? Have we stopped doing something that we shouldn't have been doing? It's a challenging, challenging question for myself, for all of us. Now, why? Why would the great city of Nineveh do this? Why? Well, in verse 8, Jonah chapter 3, verse 8, it says that the people of Nineveh believed God. The people of Nineveh believed God. I think that's verse, I don't think that's verse 8, but it's around there somewhere. Jonah chapter 3, 5 through 7. The, the people of Nineveh believe God's message. That's why. That's why this happened. That's why they repented. They believed God's message. Not Jonah's message. Not something they read in a book somewhere. Not some stars they found, right? They believed God's message. And when we believe God's message, we can get up and go. We can turn to God. We can be empowered to live for God. Like it's all about God's message and trusting in it, believing in it. And again, this result is exactly the result, as we'll find out next week, that Jonah wanted to avoid the great city of Nineveh turning to God, believing God's message. Jonah hated those people. He hated what God did. He hated God for loving, for loving these people. But they are the model of repentance here. They believe God's message. That's why they turn to God. There's also some interesting things going on around this time. If you look back in history, about 765 B.C.-ish, there's things that you can read in the Assyrian history or that you can find through there. And you can read that there are plagues. There's two major plagues that happen. There's a flood. There's a famine. So like I said, you know, it's like the date, and then it's the king did this, and then it's like plague. <laughs> that's, the, that's the historical record of the Assyrian kingdom. And you can read that, 765, 759. God's doing some of these things. There was also, and you can date this back, right? They can date it back with the astronomy. There was a total eclipse of the sun in June 15th, 763 B.C. So... You know, it's completely dark. God's doing some things in the world, in the atmosphere, in the sky, in the, you know, in the context to set Jonah's message in place. And so remember, again, it was the people who believed God's message. That's what caused the repentance. That's what the scriptures tell us. But there's also some things that you can see in history that kind of set the context or set the stage for God to be doing some things for maybe the Assyrian kingdom. Man, we're facing plagues. There's a flood. There's a famine. Like, we, we got to change something. We can't keep going the same direction. And so the God is helping them set the stage for this. And then after the message comes, now there's still continued signs of, man, we better, you know, get right here. The other interesting thing that's going on here is that Nineveh worshiped a god named Dagon. And Dagon, if you don't know what Dagon looks like, he's an idol, right? So the picture of this Dagon god, who is the god of the sea, looks like this. <clears throat> this is, 
he's a fish guy. He's a fish man, right? His body's this fish, and then it's his head coming out of, of the fish body. And what's interesting is that God would use a man who was swallowed by a fish, who should have died in the sea, to give a message to the people that believed in a God represented by this image. Like, it's almost like God was using a method of communication that they would understand. They're like, oh, man, like here's, a, here's a fish guy, and he's coming to give us this message from God. Like, they, you know, kind of connected with them, I think. And I think also that God would do this, that God would cause a man to be swallowed by a fish and him give this message to the Ninevites in a way to show the Ninevites, like, your God, your Dagon God, that is in control of the sea, it's so bad, you know, he should have punished this guy, right? Like, Jonah's God is stronger. Jonah's God is bigger. Jonah's God is more powerful. Jonah's God rescued him in the middle of the clutches of Dagon, and Jonah's God spit him out and brought him to my city. So maybe, maybe I should listen to what this God has to say. He's, he's bigger. He seems to be bigger, more powerful than my fish God, I think. God's using some of those things as well. But this is what God does. He uses the things in our life. He causes things to happen. So like when you show up somewhere new, for example, you start a new job, you move into a new neighborhood, you start something new, you meet someone new, guess who's already been there before you ever got there? God has. And he's been working in their life He's been doing things in that company before you ever got there. He's been working in that neighborhood ever before you stepped foot in that place. And so when you show up there, your goal, our goal is to just figure out what God's doing. How God, how's God set this? How, how's God working? And now we can come up and say, all right, let, let's, let's make this happen. And after you go, after you leave, after you go to somewhere new, guess who stays? God, and he's still working. He's still doing things. He's still causing people to turn to him. He's still make, making miracles happen in people's life. Like, this is the God that we serve. He's, he's there before we ever get there, and he's there after we leave, and yet he still wants to invite us and use us to do what God has called us to do. That's what he uses with Jonah. And so Jonah goes to Nineveh. He gives them this message. The people repent, and then the guy, the king, says this incredibly challenging thing. He says this, who can tell? Perhaps, even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Don't miss this. The people of Nineveh, the king of Nineveh, repent at the chance, at the chance, not the promise, the chance that God would spare them. We, me and you, have a promise from God that if we believe in him, he will forgive us, he will save us, he will restore us, he will redeem us. Like that is a promise from the Lord. And these guys repent and turn to God out of the chance. I, I don't know. Maybe this will work. Like, that is super challenging. Like, Jonah doesn't give them enough information 
about the Lord, he's like, God's going to destroy you. He doesn't tell him about the Lord. He doesn't tell him about repentance. He doesn't tell him about hope. He doesn't give him anything. And these guys turn to God based on the possibility that God might do this. <laughs> that is a challenging thing. And what exactly did they understand about what they were doing? Right? What, what did Jonah tell them about this message about God? Right? We don't have any indication. Now, he might have said more as he's walking around, but we don't have that in our scriptures. So these people, again, turn to God out of the chance that God would spare them. And their knowledge of what was happening was probably almost nothing other than, oh, man, we're going to get destroyed. And so that's what the people do. They give it a try, and what happens? God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, and he changed his mind and not carry out the destruction he had threatened. 150 years later, destruction would come to the city of Nineveh, but not now. And this is one of the greatest miracles in all of history, a city so large, all turning to God in just a few short days. And God changed his mind about what he wanted to do. Now, I preached the message last year. You got to look it up about God doesn't change, right? He doesn't change. And yet, in scriptures like this, God wants to change his mind about you. So it doesn't, God doesn't change, but yet there's something about our human response about like turning to God that God does change in some ways his response to us. So you got to listen to that message from last year. But basically, it's this, like every person, your friends, your, your loved ones, your coworkers, like every good person, everyone, right? Every person is on their way. Every religious person is on their way for, to an eternity separated from God forever. Like, that's just what happens, right? Everybody is heading in that same direction. And God wants to change that. God wants to change his mind about that direction so that it doesn't have to end that way. Like God says, I've got something better for you. I can offer you, I can give you eternal life. You don't have to spend eternity separated from God, from me forever. God wants to change his mind about that, about you. And then we read what Nineveh did here, and we realize that people can turn to God and they don't need to know everything there is to know about what they're doing. They don't need to know every single detail about the Bible. They don't need to know every Bible story. They don't need to know, you know, how to pray correctly. They don't have to have perfect morality, you know, make all these perfect decisions. Like, you don't have to know pretty much anything. And these guys, they turn to God and say, who can tell? <laughs> Like, that's their faith. They're like, I don't know. Like, I'm just going to give it a try. Perhaps, maybe, God is going to change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Like, I think it's our responsibility as believers that when we give a message, we give a better message than Jonah did. <laughs> like, don't leave somebody up to chance. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to try. Like, tell them the promises that God has for us. Like, they don't have to wonder. They don't have to wonder, like, am I going to be saved? Does God really love me? Did he die for me? Did he rise again? Like, I don't know any of those things. Like, you should tell people that. It's good news. Like, don't leave them wondering. 
Like, we've got an incredible message to share with people. But many times we don't share that message because we're like, how do I explain all of this to them? Well, guess what? They don't have to know that, right? Like, it's just super simple. It's super easy. Sometimes we make it so complicated. And like our friends, our neighbors, our relatives, uh, the people that we work with, they can turn to God with like the least a bit of information. And you could even have the worst attitude in the world. I'm not recommending this, but I'm just saying, you could give the worst message. You could do it completely wrong. You could say almost the completely wrong thing. And God can still save that person because it's God in the end who does it. Not us. That's a challenging thing to think about. It's him that does the miracle. All it takes is like, man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to trust in Jesus. And God does something with that. If that's all the faith you got today, God will use it in your life. And so maybe... Maybe you're like the Ninevites today. Maybe you need to turn to God in faith with the faith that you have, with the faith that God has given you. Not somebody else's faith. Not like I need to know all these a million things, right? Just the faith that you have, you're going to turn to God and say, here I am, God. Perhaps this is going to work out. And let me say, we want to work with you. We want to walk with you. We want to help you. Like there's so much good stuff in the scriptures that God has for you. So many promises. Like, you don't have to leave it up to chance. But we want to help you and walk with you and show you those things. You don't have to have it all figured out in this moment. Or maybe, number two, are you challenged by Nineveh's repentance? And I think this is the major thrust of Jonah's book, of the book of Jonah. It's designed to challenge our hearts to recognize that, man, those evil, no-good Assyrians, they turned to God. Their animals turned to God, and they repented maybe more than I ever have. And I've been following God for the last 20 years. Like That is challenging. Or it's challenging in the fact that maybe you think that there are certain groups of people that can't turn to God. Like, they don't have the right kind of faith. There's no way God would really forgive them. Or like, oh, they're just saying that. You know, you, we know how they really are. Like, they, they say they're turning to God, but there's no way that someone like that could ever turn to God. It's a challenge in our hearts. And I hope as a church... We will celebrate when anyone turns to God. When anyone, with whatever faith God has given them in that moment, says, God, I'll turn into you. Perhaps there might be something here. And we want to celebrate what God is doing in their life. But unfortunately, and this is where we stop and pick up next week, unfortunately, it is so hard to celebrate it is so hard when anyone, especially that person, turns to God, and we celebrate that. And that's exactly the challenge that Jonah has. 
Jonah witnesses the greatest miracle, one of the greatest miracles in the history of the world. All of these people turn to God. All of these people repent. It's amazing. It's miraculous. And Jonah, the one who's supposed to love God, he wants absolutely nothing to do with it. So come back next week for that super challenging message about just how much God loves everyone. Even the people that we don't love that much. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you give us a second chance. <laughs> Lord, I pray today for those of us that need to believe in our heart of hearts, in the deepest core of our being, that yes, God, you give me a second chance. I've tried so hard. I've given my best effort. I've done all I can do, and I feel like I can't, I can't do anymore. I can't do this again. And yet, God, that's what you offer us. You give us that second chance. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take that chance. And not only would we take it, but that we would believe your message about it. That we wouldn't just try and do it in our own effort or our own strength. That we wouldn't just try to motivate ourselves or pump us up with some feel-good kind of thing. But that we would really seek you, God. And that your message would be the thing above anything else that gives us the power to do what we need to do. And Lord, help us to turn to you with the faith that you've given us. Lord, help us to really... Just be challenged by that idea. So God, we, we turn to you now and recognize you as the miracle worker in Jesus' name.